Welcome to podcast 143 from Wiggly Wigglers. I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers. I'm Farmer Phil. And I'm Richard from Wiggly Wigglers. Great news from Wigglers this week. We are a finalist in the Dell competition. And it means that we've already won a laptop. Oh, I wasn't handy, aware yeah. that Dell made Dell. Apple computers myself. Well, they don't. They make Dell ones, don't they? But obviously some people in the company have different tastes to those who have taste. Good. So will that laptop be replacing the one that you've got currently sat on your lap with the busted screen? Don't be ridiculous. I've got another laptop ready <laughs> called a MacBook Air. Yeah. A MacBook Air. <laughs> Part of the reason that we've got to the final and we've yet to find out who wins is because of this very podcast. That was fundamental, so it was using new communication technology. So our podcast was key to the entry. So thank you, podcast. And here's our latest iTunes review, and it's from Mutty Mum. And I think it must be a she. So it says, definitely Milka, or in my terms, green and black. Five stars. As a Devon exile living in Birmingham, it sounds just like the sort of discussions and arguments I became familiar with at very different farms I worked at in my youth. Got that fly, Rich? I did. Well done. Never quite sure who enjoys the argufying most. Heather for dangling the carrot, or Farmer Phil and Ricardo for the joy of the fight. Would love to know how the guys make it up at the end of the day. Or are they just stonily polite for a while? I'll ask them in a minute, Mutty Mum. Now working through the podcast archives, done all this year and 2005, and the only problem with this is remembering what is current and what is archive. Thank you to all at Wiggly Wigglers for bringing the countryside direct to my door. Hope to come to one of your events soon. So, the question is, do you, boys... Make it up at the end of the day, or are you just stonily polite for a while? We're rarely polite at all, are we? <laughs> what to say, really? I'm not sure. It's a, and it's usually, a in my case, but... the thrill of the victory is enough. <laughs> I've, I've finished then, so that's all right. <laughs> so I give him a bottle of beer as his consolation prize, which he likes, because he's quite cheap. <laughs> It's interesting when we had that big argument the last time. We had a big debate and we had quite a heated discussion, didn't we? Mm. And Phil felt, you know, a little bit remorseful, I think, after <laughs> yeah. insulting one of his employees <laughs> in, in such an appalling fashion. <laughs> and, uh, and you didn't you know, show much respect for your employer, <laughs> if I might say so. And your point, Rich. And uh, anyway, we, so, so anyway, we went out. Phil said, "Oh, look, Rich, I've got these cheap beers from the local garage. <laughs> the local garage, which incidentally sells every imports." imaginable the, the irony was that the beer also left a bitter taste in my mouth <laughs> oh dear it was nice it came all the way from oxfordshire that did breakspeare's brewery that was okay I well breakspeare's is usually good but it was kind of it was a bit of a cross between kind of stout and and real ale it wasn't it was betwixt and between it was almost it had sort of connotations of heather beer but without i don't know it wasn't i don't know it didn't float my boat you see, normally I have to counsel. <laughs> That's not to say I'm not appreciative of the odd free beer, <laughs> he hastens to add. See, normally I have to counsel both parties. So I'll go back to the office and Rich will say, <laughs> I think he went a bit over the top. And then I'll go to tea and Farmer Phil will still be there steaming, saying, I don't know what he was on about. And then they sort of calm down. 
So you sort of avoid each other for a day, don't you? <laughs> I've never then... avoided him in my life. <laughs> no, I don't think I do. If I need to tell Ricardo something, I'll tell him. <laughs> and then you sort of get together. But if I need to ask Phil for something, then I'll ask. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, you just nick it. <laughs> what can I... Well, is that OK if I have some corn, please, Phil? Oh, don't ask. Uh, That's about the last time I did say it. Phil, he said, No! Before I'd even had a chance to ask her anything. Really? I think the last yeah. time uh, I did say yes, and you said, could you have five other offences taken into consideration of things that you'd nicked over the previous week? Anyway, we've got Sue from us coming up on the show. We're also going to hear about Piggy Day, which the Chankies ran in the village. The Chankies have got a whole range of rare breed pigs. They've got 24 sorts, and they themselves were piggy rich with you. Yes. Do you know why? You said I didn't come? <laughs> I did text you, didn't I? Yes, but I didn't get it. No, that's, that's difficult. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I forgot you were coming. Right. But it was all all right, because so in actual fact, yeah. had you have come, mm. that would have meant four people didn't get any pork. Oh, uh, OK. But as it was, only one person didn't, didn't get, get any pork, pork and that was Penny. Jolly so good. So never mind Penny. Jolly good. You know, I do apologise, Pete, if you're listening to this, because uh, I did send Heather a text... <laughs> To say, uh, I can't make it, please forward my apologies to Pete. And I, I did say I would, and I would like to have come, but I just had too much to do, I'm afraid. But firstly, <laughs> we want to settle what the team thinks about a very serious subject, which is very, very emotive and tends to polarise opinion drastically, and that is TB, badgers, cattle, and the issues that there are with that. And so I know that the RSPCA have been running a campaign to oh, save the badger or whatever it's called. And I just wanted to get your two thoughts. Well, first of all, I think the RSPCA are entirely wrong and probably a little bit cynical to get involved in something which is political. There's a lot of, for want of a better word, hype and spin applied to it. Words that are misconstrued like cull. The facts of the matter are this, that the TB in badgers and cattle are related. There's no issue with that. The Krebs report that our government commissioned to find out how to control TB suggested that if you kill badgers with TB, you will reduce the incidence of TB in cattle alongside a rigorous testing scheme of the cattle and slaughtering any that come back positive. Now, our government, because they didn't want to run the risk of having to use the word badger and cull in the same sentence, said that Krebs's report stated that a cull of some description might work, but then again, it might not work. So they decided that they weren't going to address the issue, and they've gone back to the idea of trying to develop a vaccine, which will take 10 years. In the interim, the good old British taxpayer will pay a fortune in terms of testing regimes, culling cattle and all the rest of it. But perhaps the saddest indictment of it is that it will really badly affect the badger population because a badger with TB dies just the same as anything else does in the end and that badgers give TB to each other, they give TB to cattle. If cattle are left to roam about with TB, they'll give it back to the badgers. And it's just a disaster and it's an expensive disaster at that on a personal level. If you're a farmer and the ministry come along and say your cattle have got TB, you've got no choice. The law says they go down the road and you get 
a certain amount of compensation, but at the moment cattle are quite valuable and that compensation is pretty meagre. My real point is, well, there are two issues. One's easier, easier to deal with than the other, that the killing of TB-infected badgers has to be the way forward. But I said that sentence very carefully, that you have to identify the sets that have TB in them and take out that set. If you take out badgers over a huge area, all that happens is that the infected badgers, which are kicked out by their own sets, they then go to that population gap. So you end up with all these sort of sickly badgers coughing and spluttering TB, and the incidence of TB in the cattle, particularly around the perimeter of that area, goes up for obvious reasons. That is fact, that's what's happened in the trials, and it proved the point that if you have a healthy set, a badger goes down with TB, as soon as the rest of the family members realise that it's coughing and spluttering, they chase it out of the set, chase it off the territory, it will go to where it's unmolested, and that's where you've culled the badgers. If you take out an individual set, the effect on the population is not half as drastic. There will be areas where they've let it get so bad that you have to take out a lot of badgers, but until you address that problem, there will be no way forward. The other problem is that the badger has no predator. That since 1996 it's been protected, that you're not allowed to kill badgers pretty much under any circumstances. The badger population has more than doubled in that time and certainly here we've noticed that we've got badgers, young badgers, starving to death. There's not enough food for them. They come into the buildings looking for bird food, looking for anything they can eat. They get in amongst the cattle food and obviously the proximity of badger to cattle is potentially a disaster. But the theory suggests that if a badger is under stress, or if any animal is under stress, and starvation counts as pretty stressful, they are more susceptible to picking up TB. If you're healthy and happy, you're quite effective at warding it off. You can be exposed to it, and we've noticed this with the cattle. We can tell sometimes from the tests that we think they've been exposed to TB, but then they fight it off. Now, a starving badger is likely to get it, and that is a problem for which I have no answer because if you now say, having had the badger protected for, what, 12 years now, if you now said that you're allowed to shoot badgers again, <coughs> sadly, because of the political activities over those 12 years, there would be a significant number of farmers that would say the safest option is to wipe them out. And that is a political issue, and I don't have an answer to it. They were wrong to declare them protected. With no predator, they've got a problem. Rich, you're a wildlife lover. What do you think? And we all, about... We're all wildlife lovers, aren't we? Well, I think so, but I think often that some people think that farmers aren't supportive of wildlife. I think lots of farmers aren't. I mean, the trouble is, it's always the, it tends to be that the farmers that aren't wildlife lovers that are amongst the most destructive of the, uh, the so-called guardians of the country. So I tend to get the greater proportion of the press... There are instances in, in any industry where, you, where you've got a good and bad Phil, I appreciate, uh, I acknowledge, rather, does care about his badges. You see, it's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because to protect song thrush numbers, uh, in the interest of biodiversity and forestry and, uh, and whatnot, it's often a very sensible option to control magpies and grey squirrels. Yeah. Now, should we assume that we can preserve cattle populations off the back of killing an indigenous species. Is it not a bit arrogant to assume as human beings that we 
um, should have the luxury of not just off, cattle off the, back of, of, the, of the back of killing a fantastic I, I'm, wild I'm with you on that but I would add to the list that the demise of curlews and lappings notably round here I would lay fairly and squarely at the door of the badger. But that's very controversial. A lot of it, people it is don't fairly squarely, and, and also I kind of think that's probably a, an assumption on your part. Is there is no real scientific evidence to back Quite that up. Quite a difficult out. thing There's to a prove. Other than the ground nesting birds, often because of the lack of the way arable cropping is structured, it's not specifically increasing badgers. I appreciate that the, the, the fact that badger populations are increasing will in, have in fairness, certain Rich, impacts. Yeah, we've, we've farmed this farm since 1984 yeah. and we've essentially had the same type of arable cropping since I'm trying, not to, I'm trying, not, no, to, I'm not, I'm trying not, not to get into a massive argument. No, it's not a massive I, argument. I, I, I don't just, want to. I mean, I'm just repeating, think, wishing that uh, this I'm might I'm just happen. repeating my observations. In 1984, to 1996, when we had badgers, but not many, the, the principle of a gamekeeper was if you saw a badger, you shot it. So that they were here, and they were in the sets that we've talked about, but you thinned them out, or the gamekeeper did, on a, on a regular basis. But we had curlews nesting, we had lapwings nesting, and all the rest of it. Now, in the particular case of the curlews, they particularly enjoyed the grass seed crops, which were regularly in rotation. That is a field that the badgers regularly go across. You can tell by their tracks and the bits of crop that they beat down. We had curlews nesting right the way up until the mid-90s at some point, mm. and then they started to decline. Now, we haven't changed anything that we've done, and they were as happy as you like in those arable crops. And in many ways, I think they favoured them because they've got grass to choose from as well. And then as the badger numbers took off, which they Had did... Had things changed prior to you taking over the farm, though? Because it's an interesting thing with curlews. It was with an curlews. farm. There was a, a, a school of thought some time ago that curlews were doing OK. You know, lots of the mm. other ground-nesting species were in, in real demise. But they realised that the reason that at, at that point that there were plenty of curlews around is because they're such a long-lived bird. They live for well over 20 years, and consequently their demise, the population crashes weren't recognised until I, later I could only measure so I'm just wondering, the when success. you took over your farm and there were sufficient quantities of curlews here, had something changed prior to you taking over? And now this, this notable reduction well, in curlew population... Well, do badgers eat curlews' eggs? Of course they do. But haven't badgers been here for millennia? Absolutely, but the population of badgers, I can vouch for, is increased. Mm. I mean, when I was a kid, the first badger that I ever saw was in Sutton, in Surrey, when they had a badger, uh, you go and watch the badgers at night. I was 16, I'd never seen a badger, having lived in Herefordshire all my life. Yeah. Now, if I come home from the pub <laughs> of a night, I would say 50% chance of seeing a badger. Right. And also, all I can... that flapping, dear <laughs> listener, is Toast and Jam, who appear to have got a tennis ball and a wet bum. All right, the evidence is circumstantial, Rich, and I'm not trying to defend the fact at this point that necessarily farming activities haven't affected it. But for 10 or 15 years, we had curlews. Now, this farm has been an arable farm for hundreds of years, probably, the field I have in mind and those curlews have probably nested there for most of them. Now, the time has changed, the badger has no predator, and we do have... Tan There's no argument that they are eating stuff. So that I can't... You know, I can't give you chapter and verse on it, but what I can tell you is the circumstantial evidence is there. Uh, let's just end, then, shall we?
the Wheelie Podcast. Let your iPod bloom. We were contacted a while ago by somebody from the US Conservation Environment Group and I've come down today to talk to these guys. I think there's um, a merry band of men that do all sorts of great things around the town of Usk. Beautiful little town, Usk. Kind of lies between Monmouth and Newport, I guess. I'm just making my way down the steps, which have obviously been lovingly restored and down into what can only be described as a kind of well, disused railway line, I suppose, but it seems like to be a little wildlife area as well because there's a, a bridge and a pond. It's quite a romantic spot, actually. Let's go and see if I can find somebody. Oh, I can see a whole group of people now. And I walk into this uh, into this tunnel, which is stunning. Gosh, I have no idea how long this has been here, but there's wonderful stone walls. You can hear the acoustics in here. Wonderful. Well, I'm wading my way through a real muddy patch, which I brought my wellies. How are you? Are you Graham? That's it. Oh, nice to meet you. I'm Richard. How are you? Going nice to see you. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Hi. Hello. Hi. Yes, I'm fine. This is Sue. 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 Yeah, are you the one who contacted us originally? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. emailed Heather, didn't yeah. you, originally? Yeah. So you're an avid uh, podcast listener. Well, <laughs> avid, you know, it's whilst away the time when the allotment doesn't Yeah, as <laughs> well as it does, yeah. 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 Definitely. Oh, there's all sorts of great work going on here. A real merry band of men doing all sorts oh, of wonderful yeah. things. Yeah. I've got to give them that. I don't like to see, and this will be our excellent. Yeah. Well, we don't <laughs> no, have choice anymore. I still do the wick. Yeah, that's the only way. No, not exactly. No, I've come to record what's going on here. Right. Just, Sue got in touch with us, and perhaps we'd like to make a little feature of uh, what you guys are doing down here. So what's going on here, then? This is just used railway line. Yes. And so we're just making it into a, a wildlife corridor and path. It's quite nice because it goes around to the river, to, uh, around the back of the car. Yeah, that's a beautiful place, isn't it? it? Is. And it's really pretty. Yeah, I've, I haven't really spent much time yeah. now. But as I wander down the steps, I notice a little pond at the bottom. Yes. So you guys presumably are responsible for that. We did. Yes. Graham's baby. Yeah, we got well, young Martins really. Um, we, sorry, young Martin and old Martins. So young because we got two Martins. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was young Martins project. He's the easy pond man. But we got bigger ones on up as well. Right, oh, yeah, right. The pond liners, you know. But okay. We're still in the process of getting them so sorted. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, uh, we, we had, we've got tadpoles and got nukes in this one already. Now. It worked anyway, do you know? Yeah, even yeah. Even on short notice. Plenty of eels. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of eels. Yeah. 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 Oh, There's ah, eels in here, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's a very good sign. Yeah. They are a species in decline, you know, eels. So, are they? Uh, they are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the writing's on the wall for eels, yeah. generally. Oh, right. So um, so if you've Goodness got some. Goodness knows where they come from. And they can travel over land. Yeah. You will get them. So you've got a couple of your colleagues here digging away in this yeah. we put in a walkway and this is part of the Nusk nature trail it's about okay. a three kilometer walk around the outskirts of Usk right. so we go sort of go along here across fields through we've also created a wildflower meadow we go past that back up the river and back to the start point you know it's, it's a circle little circle walk and you can get on and off whatever you want so what so drives you to do this kind of thing then madness. I mean, what's, what's, <laughs> yeah it's just something we sort of snowball we started off with giving talks and walks taking people around on talks and walks yeah. It's all overgrown, you couldn't get through it at all. All right. the trees don't and everything. Right. And we thought, well, that would be a nice little sort of conservation area. I moved yeah. into us seven years ago, and my house literally is at the top of the bridge there. Okay. And when I moved in, there was talk about making this into a bypass, and I thought, I don't want a road down the bottom no. of my garden. No, definitely so not. So I heard that Graham and the guys were working on it. I thought, well, if we can make it into a conservation area, get it's going to make it more difficult status. for any yeah. developer yeah. in the future yeah. to make it yeah. into a road. Yeah. That seems perfectly reasonable to me. <laughs> we've got great crest and in the pond up the top there, and we've got great Crest and Newton a pond in the school. Oh wow! So hopefully this is a this is a bit of a corridor for yeah. them anyway, and we're yeah. hoping to get them in our pond. And I've got a license to 
just sort of handle them. Okay. So hopefully um, that will give us a bit more weight if anything they decide to do anything with it eventually. You know, yeah, so. I did hear there was talk about taking Great Christian Newts off, off the endangered, off the endangered list. list. Yeah, because yeah, they are sort of coming back in lots well, of places. To be quite honest, nearly every pond we've been in, we found them. Right. <laughs> <You know. laughs> well, they're it's wonderful creatures, aren't they? Yeah, Huge. nobody has gone out looking for them for, what, no. for years and years and years, you know. That's right. And I mean, you'd look for them when you're kids, I suppose, and then you don't bother then, and then you said, oh, well, they, they were you, you know, they've gone now, but yeah. uh, they were you, but I mean, they're not, they're still there, it's just that nobody's done a, no, a real good check on them. Well, yeah. it's the same with dormice. Whenever we put up dormice boxes, we find dormice. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> well, apart from you, but it's not the right habitat for them here at any rate. But we've done that just as a, to show people what we're doing, you know, as a conservation project. We've got bird boxes, dormouse boxes, all sorts. And we've Brilliant. put in lots of native plants. Yeah. Um, so we've put in bluebells, oh God, daffodils. Thousands of bluebells and wild daffodils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wooden enemies. And then with, along the water bits, we've put in... Marsh marigolds. Uh, the southern marsh orchid. Southern marsh orchid, yeah. Oh, lovely. That did well. Yeah, that did I know well. you've, you've got a beautiful swathe of meadow sweet yes, just yeah, down the side yeah, of the tunnel there. Yeah. Oh, the bulrushes look good too. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know where they came from. Martin got you sell plants, don't you? We do sell yes, plants. Yes, now I yeah. think Martin bought most of the plants for the ponds from you. Oh okay. That's young Martin. Young Martin, yeah. yeah. Right. But the bulrushes were there. Yeah. They just appeared, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. yeah. As things do, yeah. 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 I mean the freshwater environment's probably probably the quickest to yeah. colonise. It's incredible yeah. how fast it can yeah. you just get that encroachment, you know, yeah. vegetation and, and uh, all sorts of other life as well. So, well so how many how many of you are there in the There's in the no passing? volunteer forces. I think it's about fifteen of us. Okay. Yeah. When we're up we to the full Yeah, usually twelve twelve. 14, yeah. Like yeah. Speaking nice of Australian for coffee and cakes. Nice crew. Yes, I'll definitely have a cup <laughs> of coffee with you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sure. Cream yeah. eclairs and Eccles cakes oh, wow. today. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, what a treat. Well, that's what it's said to you in itself to come along <laughs> on a Saturday morning. Well, you're not dressed for working. No, I'm not dressed for working. No, it's a cutting ploy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. This is this is the uh, the purpose of my visit today is to, is to merely hold this little recorder and that's it's that. Not even very heavy. Either, no, is it? it's not at all heavy. <laughs> okay. So how long have you been going for then? How long has the group been going? The, the group been going since about two thousand. It's quite complicated. It was started by another group and they had students from the local college. Right. That all sort of fell through. Okay. And they said, well, would we want to take it over? So we said yes. So we've been going here about five years now, I suppose. We've just been given uh, a lot of funding now again. From Environment Wales and Biffa, okay. Biffa Awards, see? Great stuff. So we can carry on with putting these walkways up, you know. Yeah. Members of the public, yeah, they're using it. And yeah. there's a walking group down here the other day as well, yeah. so it can be a, yeah. a well-used path. Right, yeah. right. Well, there's, I suppose there's a balance to be had, isn't there, between <coughs> having loads of people using <coughs> it all the time and occasional people to appreciate it for, oh, for exactly that. what yes. it is. Yeah. <coughs> we did, uh, we obviously did a species count, and I think it's over 80 species of plant. Really? I think there's about 27 species of trees. And then we can see, usually see about a dozen different birds. And then we've got butterflies. We've got seven or eight different butterflies use it. Um, the insects, we haven't done a lot with the insects. There are sort of different spiders. And in the water, we've got cameras, leeches, eels, and uh, whirligig beetles. And, well, now we've got, uh, we got the frogs and the toads, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Mood, so, a whole uh, plethora yeah. of life. So it's, 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 it's coming well. Yeah. I see you've got a bonfire going, right? <coughs> yeah. Slash and burn. Yeah. Yeah. Slash and burn, yeah. yeah. yeah you didn't fancy yeah, saving yeah, that to the winter time then, yeah. for, uh, to kind of all stand it's, around it's in the snow and warm yeah, your so cockles. Much you have to clear it as you go. Yeah. 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 We try to yeah. leave the big stuff for eco piles, but the twigs and, and the brambles and things you can't really leave. Yeah. It's brilliant though because it's kind of wild. I mean, it's literally, if you go up the embankment, you've got a road, which of course we can hear. 10 yards away from that road it's a real wild place well if yeah. you go further down the railway line splits away from the road so you can't even hear that and all you hear <coughs> is the birds mm. right yeah. well so you can you can take the gentleman down and show him what we've done 
Uh, and tell them about the rubbish yeah. heaps. Mm. Well, I, well, I G this lot up. Yeah. Graham, it's been a pleasure to see you. Thank you okay. very much. Yeah. Yeah. The Wiggly Podcast. The Archers, but real. And so here I am at Piggy Day in Preston on Wye with the star of the show, the pigs. No, I'm not. I'm with Emma. Emma's pigs.blogspot.com. Hello, Emma. Hello. How do you think today is going? Um, I think it's going very well. Yeah. We've seen the chef. We've tasted the pork. It was delicious. Why do you think your rare breeds taste any better than that high street supermarket stuff? that people buy every week? Because they've been grown for longer and they've been outside in the fresh air and they've probably been fed better stuff. Bit of love. Yeah. But you see, most commercial pork is Duroc or Duroc Cross. So is there anything special about using a rare breed? I think because they're grown on for longer, they have a richer taste. Now, people would say, listen, Emma, this is all very well, but if you're killing the pig, how the heck can you be helping the rare breed survive? Well, the only way they're going to survive is if you people do eat them, because if people don't eat them, then no-one's going to keep them, to breed from them. Now, give me a few salient facts. What did I hear about suntan and pigs? Do pigs get a suntan? Pigs get burnt very easily, which is why they have wallows, so that is what they use a suntan cream, the mud from the wallow, because... It keeps them cool, it stops them from burning. And did I read that the RSPCA Freedom Food Pig means that they don't have a chance to wallow? Yes, they are inside and they don't have a chance to wallow. So, and do they get natural light if they're an RSPCA Freedom Pig? Not necessarily. Because Freedom Pig sounds as if they are free. It does sound like that, but it's really just a name that's said to make the pork sound better. But what it's supposedly advertised as is not true. They're not allowed to run around outside. Now, you're selling your pork, aren't you? Yes, I And am. I've tasted those sausages, and they're almost as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking. They were delicious, absolutely delicious. How much per pound is cheap sausage? How much per pound is a really expensive sausage? And how much per pound is yours? Well, our meat we sell for about £3 a pound. The sausages are a bit cheaper. Other meats you can get some freedom foods um, from Co-op we found were three ninety nine a pound, and some rubbish tacky Richmond sausages were <laughs> two seventy five a pound. But they're not freedom foods or outdoor bread or anything. They're just kept inside the whole time. So can you understand why anybody would go and buy anything except free range pork? I think most people don't understand what freedom foods and outdoor bread and free range are what the differences are between them and because normally you buy free range pork in bigger quantities it sounds more expensive when it's actually not so pound. like 10 pounds a bag but you get a lot five more. times as much as you would with those little tiny packets now what's this that pigs don't sweat because everyone says you sweat like a pig well pigs actually don't have the sweat glands so they can't sweat which is why they need to drink a lot more water now, Emma, you obviously love your pigs, and I've met Acorn and Berry quite up close. Yeah. What is it like when you take the offspring to kill? Well, I haven't actually taken Acorn and Berry's offspring yet, 
but I've taken some other pigs which we've had from weaners, which is about eight weeks. I think it is hard, but when you get them, you if you know you're going to kill them, you try not to get too attached to them, like you don't name them or anything. And you know that they've had a good life before they've been killed. And when it comes back as meat and it tastes good, you feel better about it. Right, let's go and meet Ben and Pete, and they'll give us a bit more about the breeze that you've got. Okay then, Ben, you wanted to tell me about sausages. Come up close so that you get to the mic. Which is your favourite breed of pig? Uh, I think one of my favourites is the Oxford Sandy in black. Uh, that's mainly on their appearance, and the ones we've got here, lovely temperament. There, I feel I can go in with them easier than going in with this lot. That's probably just because they're a lot bigger. So this but, lot uh, are the Tamworths? Yeah, Tamworths and Berkshires. Okay. But I think that's just because they're a lot bigger. But And what do you think about Piggy Day? Very, very good idea. Raise awareness of free range and what all the jargon means. Hopefully get some people interested in preserving the rare breeds and eat some pork as well. So Brilliant. Now, Pete, what I imagine to be free range was how our pigs were, which wasn't a great success for the field. It was a great success for the pigs yes. because it was like the adventures of pigs. That's you, right. know, you watch them go around and you watch them root and you watch them root and you watch them do all sorts of things. And to me, you know, your pigs, they're penned up. They're, they're, it, how do you define free range? Well, there isn't actually a definition of free range at the moment. There's outdoor definition of outdoor raid, and freedom foods but free range hasn't been formally defined yet uh, we we look at it as being able to run around in their in their pens move in and out of their arcs whenever they want to and generally live a life outdoors a lot of people are so-called having free range where their pigs are outside but they're on a concrete pad it just doesn't have a roof on it but is it really important to have soil you know so what if there's a bit of grass Pigs don't eat much grass. No, what the, difference the, does the it pigs, make? Pigs um, will graze. Uh, the Tamworths, when we first got those, were very, very thin. They hadn't had much in the way of solid food. And they, they went into a pen full of grass and they cropped it and they grazed. They didn't want to touch the solid food until the grass had gone. But in terms of having mud and whatever, they need mud to wallow in. And they also pick up a lot of nutrients from the soil. Listen, let's walk down. But the question that I know our listeners are dying to know about, you've made your own pig arcs. Now, we bought ours from www.pighut.co.uk from James. And he was most pleased with it because it's insulated and it was wonderful. But you've made your own pig arc and we're just getting to it now. Tell me what's special about this because you were mentioning those... those the, the firing uh, bars. Yeah. Well, basically, when, when Emma and Who's I went... Who's this? Who's this? Berry? This is Berry. Honking. Uh, honking him away. Um, when Emma and I went on the, uh, the pig course, before she had the two wieners originally, they said on the course you should have a nice wooden arc with a floor, because it helps insulate them in the, in the winter, and you should have lots of room in it, because you want to be able to get in there and stand up if you're tending to a sick pig or you're helping a sow farrow. So we thought, we'll make this big pig arc which was great we had two, the two gilts and barky in there for six weeks and it was big enough for that but what it didn't have was any rails on the sides where the the little piglets could escape from the mother why is um, that important they they need a couple of bars either side just so the pigs can move out of the way and berry can't lie on top of them 
Now you're new to pig farming really aren't you? Totally. How do you think that it's feasible for somebody who's got such a lack of experience to make a success of pigs in terms of enjoyment, in terms of good meat and even in terms of profit? I mean the pig industry has been on its knees. It has and I think um the answer to all those questions has got to be yes, otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. Yes, it's very enjoyable. Yes, it's something we want to have a go at and we're keen to have a go at and make a, a good commercial go of it. I think the commercial side will take some time to to work, but the, the pigs we've sold already, if, if we just take the cost of the pig and the cost of its feed and vets bills, etc., we are making money on them. So not counting your time? Not counting our time. Um, if, if we were starting off and um, we're doing this as a pure commercial venture, 24 hours a day or whatever, we wouldn't just have 20 pigs on the place, we'd have hundreds. Yeah. And I think you could still, by scaling the whole thing up, could do it commercially. Now, presumably you're supporting local food to local people, so you don't want too much, much transportation? Uh, absolutely. We're, we're getting straw from um, Farmer Phil. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well done, Farmer Phil. Um, and he's, <laughs> I didn't uh, know that. He's actually renting our land. <laughs> so when, when he harvests the straw, we zip along there with the trailer and... Uh, Get some it. back. So <laughs> in terms of food miles, that's about 400 yards. <laughs> well done, Pete. But no, we, we, we would like to sell to local people. Um, we're trying to buy pigs from other local growers when we buy the wieners in. We haven't gone outside a 50 kilometre radius yet. Um, and we started off with two and we've now got 24, 25. So um, we, we're trying to support other people who are keeping rare breed pigs by buying their wieners. We'll Just then, explain what a wiener is. A wiener is a, is a pig that's no longer suckling from the mother. So it's been taken away from the mother and it's got to fend for itself. So the future is bright. The future is emmaspigs.blogspot.com Or emmaspigs.co.uk Oh, that's much better. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, Ev. And if you want to buy some piggy off the chankies, then give them a ring. Obviously, if you're in California or New Zealand, best not after we've spoken about the benefits of local food. But if you're in Herefordshire, Worcestershire or Gloucestershire, give them a ring. Their number is 01981 500 294. They've got a blog as well, haven't they, on the pigs? Emmaspigs.blogspot.com Shall we say goodbye? Uh, yeah, shall we? Why not? Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye. And bye from me. <laughs>